Hi, this is Kenny Albert. In my spare time, I always enjoy listening to Baseball and Barbecue with Jeff and Len. studios of baseball and bbq on long island new york this is episode number 221 jeff the oku cohen that guy over there is leonard hollywood Aberman. welcome you back to our show leonard jeff i was just saying as we started before we start a recording i'm tired ah you're tired i am tired and but the great thing about the fact that that I'm tired is we have two great interviews. So I don't really have much to do because we have two fantastic guests. One, actually, we have three great guests. We have. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. Kelly Stinnett. Former major league catcher. Yeah. And Gary Mack. You know, Gary Mack. I know Gary Mack very well. Right. From the Mets Musings podcast. So that is outstanding. So I can basically relax during that one, right? Yes. And then if I'm still tired, we've got John Shirey, who is a competition barbecue cook. He's from Chunky Barbecue. Yes, he is. We have a very nice conversation with him all about competing, what he looks for in a contest, and he's putting thousands and thousands of miles a year on he's doing 35 36 contests a year he loves it so let me just tell everybody with the nfl playoffs right around the corner and the nba season in full swing bet online has you covered with all the up to the second odds news and scores with additional odds lines and trends and information on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE. You know how to spell it. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50%. Yes, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online. It is where the game starts. Slend, how will we be starting? Kelly Stinnett talks about his career, talks about what he's doing after baseball. Gary Mack, who adds his own expertise, his own interviewing flair, and that's going to be one you're going to enjoy. Take a listen. In our ever-growing roster of former New York Mets catchers, we have with us a 14-year major leaguer who played on eight teams, most notably with the Mets and the Diamondbacks, from 1994 through 2007. He attended Lordson High School in Oklahoma, where he led in both baseball and football, and he quarterbacked the team to an undefeated record and a state championship in 1987. 
attended Seminole Junior College in Oklahoma and leading all junior college players with 30 home runs and 124 RBIs. He was the National Junior College Player of the Year and first-team All-American. Drafted by the then-Cleveland Indians and selected in the 1993 Rule 5 draft by the Mets, made his major league debut with the Mets on April 5, 1994. Today, he's the head coach for the Cowlitz Black Bears of the West Coast League, a collegiate summer baseball league comprising the team from the Western U.S. and Canada. And he's also the head coach for Park University Gilbert Buccaneers in Arizona. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Kelly Stinnett. Welcome, Kelly. Hey, thanks, Welcome. guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> and we also have with us the host of the Baseball Talk radio show, Gary Mack. Thanks, Gary, for joining us. Hi, guys. How are you all doing? <laughs> Good to have Good you, Gary. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Just baseball 24-7 out here in Arizona. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to my first question to you, Kelly, and this is a, a very coincidental. In 1987, you played football with a player who would become your teammate on the 1995 Mets, and that's Butch Husky. How about that? <laughs> oh, it's pretty neat. You know, Butch, uh, Butch, and I, Butch and I go a long ways back from all the way to Little League, all the way till, uh, you know, getting to play a couple years in the big leagues together. So it was pretty neat. I'm going to let Gary, you know, I, I was shocked by Jeff. We usually let our we usually let our guest co-host lead off. <laughs> but I guess Jeff is just rarer to go. So, Gary, I, the microphone is yours. Thank you so much. And, and Kelly, yeah, as an, an old catcher myself, not quite to any level. <laughs> I, I have a lot of I love catchers and, and uh, my favorite players are all catchers. But I guess my question is. With your coaching now and, and everything and the evolution of the game, catching has even changed so much from when I played 100 years ago. What, what are your thoughts on, on the evolution of the game itself, the equipment, as well as just the, the, you know, you don't see guys taking off masks on plays at home plate no more. And sometimes foul pops, they don't even take it off. So, and, and the throws to second seem to be, more erratic every year what's your thoughts on the whole catching process well i mean to start with the gear i mean i was always taught gary tuck was my my mentor with the he was with me when i first came with the indians and he was the one that kind of groomed posada and veritech when he was with the yankees and and red sox so you know a lot of stuff i learned was from him because he he was the best he was the best catch instructor back in the day and that's why Girardi brought him around all those guys kept bringing him around because he just he was just a catching bullpen rat, just, just made, mm -hmm. made catches better. And as far as the plays of the plate, he was the one that, I mean, I would get in serious trouble if I took my mask off, plays of the plate, oh. just keep your mask on. <laughs> now, with the evolution of the new hockey-style mask, I really enjoyed it just because it was uh, the mask was closer and I could see a little bit better. Uh, I think we're seeing some results of maybe a little bit more concussions because it's not as padded. But I know the new Nike gear. I got a son that catches a little bit in 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 my leagues, and he's got the Nike gear. And the Nike gear is like it's like like wearing a hat. It's like feather light. It's really cool. You know, you you don't sweat on it. it evaporates quick. So the the evolution of the I'm kind of jealous. I got I I think I had the old four-time <laughs> chest protector. You know, back that Wilson <laughs> used to make. Um, but that's what I like. You know, because I can block a ball and it stay right in front of me. But, but yeah. to get on to the, you know, the one knee stuff, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I think with, this is my personal feeling, with the with the the bigger bases now, stolen bases are, are 
becoming more prevalent in the game. It's going to, I think it's going to bring old guys like me that know how to receive, catch, and throw to teach the guys. Because right. you got these quote-unquote catching gurus now that, you know, they're trying to steal strikes. But I can tell you what, I can go down the road here about 10 miles. I'll knock on Ted Barrett's door and like, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, if it's a strike, I'm going to call a strike. I'm not. I'm not determined whether the catcher brings the ball back in the zone or not. So right. that's the one thing is I don't think these guys have a relationship with umpires knowing that these guys are going to call the ball in the strike zone. You're not going to steal strikes. And if you do, that's just because either they missed it, you know, if it was a ball and they call a strike, they just missed it. So yeah, I don't think the catchers are still on strike. And, and the one thing we teach is, or the other thing I teach, you know, and he's in old Cleveland and back in the day, Louis Isaacs was, he helped me teach how to receive the ball to help me in my throwing. Because the way you way you catch the ball, every pitch translates into how you're going to throw the ball when, when guys are stealing. So I really worked on that. And I think that's why, I mean, there was like four or five years where I was in the tops of throwing guys out just because I received the ball better. And it, it, trust me, it took a long time to get there. It didn't happen no time, but, and that, that's the one thing now is, is we had a lot of older guys, I emphasize older, that were there every day for us. We could pick the brains. We did something with them every day, you know, from like said, Gary Tucks to Louis Isaacs to, you know, even Tony Pena when I was with the Yankees, he was first base coach, but we did something right. every day between Posada and myself and Tony that, you know, we, it just made us better. And, the one these stuff I'm okay with nobody on, but with guys on, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different game now. So I think we're going to see another evolution back into the guys that can catch and throw a little bit and receive the ball. I mean, this one knee thing now that everybody's down, they want to get that low strike. I don't, you know, we used to be, like you said, used to be in a crouch and, and just get down. So you'd be in, in a half of a ready throwing position, but I don't think, well, I guess I'm, a, I'm old school. There's two ways to catch that little strike. You know, and what what most of the guys are teaching now is to try to get your thumb underneath it. Well, that de- that defeats the purpose once we start getting into our throwing mechanics or throwing situation. Anytime my glove's mm-hmm. going to go away from my body and somebody's stealing, my mechanics are going to be messed up from there. Right. Now, the way we right. teach, the way I teach, is it's a Gary Tuck way, Louis Isaacs, is to catch the ball in, in the funnel. It's okay to catch a little pitch. Bring it up, but bring right. it to your chest. Don't take it out. So. Right. You know, I think that's the difference between now and then. And, and, and I see a lot of college coaches teaching that too. And it just, man, I just got, I just got to bite my tongue and just, just walk away because <laughs> you know, if I'm not running the program, I don't want it ran that away, but that's hey, right. You do it, okay. You do it. I'm going to give me like four or five guys that can run and we're going to steal bases off of you. Left there you and go. Right. We got to get on base. Okay. But yeah. We're going to steal bases off of you. Right. <laughs> Kelly, you were known as uh, your nickname was the Grinder. Who gave you that, and uh, how that come to be? And uh... <laughs> well, good old Glenn Sherlock uh, was their bullpen coach. First three years with the D backs, you know, he was kind of a right hand man of Buck for all these years. I know he was with him in New York the last few years. You know, once again, you know, I don't mean to shortchange him. He was one of the guys too that was instrumental in my my development and in my. You know, being able to play for, you know, 14 years, you know, at the big league level. Uh, he's the one that gave me the nickname, you know, just grinded out every day. Uh, and it kind of stuck. And everywhere I went, it seemed to follow. And then I had club teams here. And we were called the Grinders. So it's a, 
It's a pretty cool it's name. A, I, uh, it's a know. compliment. Yeah, it's yeah. A, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of nicknames over the years, and that's probably the best one that I could share with you guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> we just had on recently uh, Zach Ford, who uh, wrote a book, and it it details all a bunch of players from the different decades and their stories about initial call up to the major leagues, you know, how it happened, their feelings, whatever. So give us a, a little bit about when you first got called up to the majors, what it was like, how it happened, how you felt. Well, I think it's a little bit more than a unique situation where, you know, they don't have as much nowadays, the rule five draft. So I was drafted by the Mets with the rule five. So when the Big league can't knowing that, well, I either got to make the ball club or they're going to send me back to the Indians, which, you know, I feel was a, it was a no lose because I like the Indians really great, great organization. And then you got the Mets kind of up and coming. They're just kind of, you know, Todd Hundley was there and they signed the, the old Braves catcher, Greg Olson to come in to be the backup. And they brought me in and man, I, I killed it that spring, had a great spring. And then, you know, it's getting crunch time. Gets down towards the end of uh, in the spring, and Dallas Green calls me in the office. And I've known Dallas a little bit because his son played at my junior college in Oklahoma. So we've 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 known each other for a little bit, kind of off and on. And you know, he just kind of looks at me, and you know, he's he's playing with me a little bit, and shakes his head, and he goes, "You know, son, you better find a place to live in New York. Congratulations, you made the team." And man, it was just like. Uh, you know, just my heart dropped and I was just just so excited and couldn't wait to call everybody. And, you know, it's my gain is obviously somebody else's loss, you know, the, learning some stuff from, from Greg Olson in spring training. You know, he's with the Braves all those years and, you know, playing all those playoffs. So, you know, I've, that's kind of been my, you know, I've beat out a lot of old backup catchers over the years. You know, and but catchers are a tight knit bunch too. We always, you know, we ha hang out in the locker room, and we're always, you know, and whether it's lunch or dinner, we're always we're always doing something together. Great, uh, you know, I was going to ask that same question, but uh, it's, it stole from me. Uh, it, you were called up in 1994. You got to the Mets, and they had a pretty. I mean, it was it was a what a 500 a year, something like that. But they had some pretty good pitchers who you caught. I mean, we're looking at Brett Saberhagen, Dwight Gooden. Those were pretty John Franco. Pretty pretty darn good pitchers, aren't they? Well, I mean, that's the year '94. We went on strike. That's what kind of shortened the season. But then my saves had less walks than you know, had more wins than walks that year. And it was just that's what I tell everybody. I've caught Randy Johnson and Schilling and yeah. you know Glavin and Pedro. Didn't catch Pedro when he had the good stuff, but I caught Pedro. But you know, <laughs> saves had the best stuff hands down of anybody ever caught in my life. You know, it's just you know great velocity with pinpoint control. Uh, great breaking ball, you know, and it was, you know, it, the games are quick. You know, you, you put your glove there and, and and he hits it. I have one follow up there. Uh, I see on that roster was Eric Hillman. And I went to Mets Fantasy Camp a couple of years ago and Eric Hillman was there. And this guy had to be the funniest guy I, 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 down there. And uh, he must have been a crack up in, in the clubhouse as well. Well, I mean, you, you had I mean, Hillman and and Franco and Saves was was pretty good, and, and Doc had his moments. You know, kept everybody lively. Pete Harnish, you know, Pete Harnish was there. I think he may have been there in '95. He maybe one of the funniest guys ever. You know, you you'll get four or five on each, each squad. You probably go down the roster and say, "Man, that's just you, you play the game to hang out with guys like that." For the most part, you know, you obviously love to play it, but 
you know, that's what some people ask me now is what do you miss the most? And we're just, just hanging out with the guys in the clubhouse. I don't miss squatting. I don't miss hitting. I don't miss working <laughs> out, you know, and that's why I like now because I've got some really good coaches around me. I got an ex uh, big leaguer, Bobby Shinard, my pitching coach here at a little Indian high school in Arizona. Does a great job. And it's just, you know, we're telling stories today. You know, all the young guys want to know, you know, certain things. We was talking about winter ball today. You know, I played in Venezuela one year and Dominican for two and, you know, how it was back then. So it's, uh, you know, it's fun telling those stories, the ones that I can remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was just, you know, uh, that 94 team and 95 team, that, it wasn't an awful team. It was a pretty good team. Uh, I mean, you had guys like Rico Bronia that could field. David Segui could really field. And, uh, of course, Todd Hundley was ahead of you in the catching rotation. And who, who was one of the most memorable player on those teams that you remember that you played with? Uh, well, I am, Brett Butler was on the team. So I, I learned a lot about how kind of picked his brain about the base running, what he did as base running and bonding. You know, he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, even uh, Mike Maddox, you know, he just won a World Series of pitching coach of the Rangers was on the team. Right. He would take some of the rookies out for, you know, for a stake here and there. You know, and, and believe it or not, Bobby Bo was, was a great teammate. You know, just kind of the calming factor, you know, and the confidence, the quiet confidence that he always had. So, I mean, it was, you know, all the teams I played in New York were just, just amazing with just the, obviously with the talent that was on the squads. Didn't always play like probably should have, but, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't trade it in for, for anything else. Kelly, when you played, the catchers were not protected like they are now. But catchers are tough. But you played at a time, and I don't want to give you this player because then I, I don't want to uh, lead the witness. But <laughs> there's a guy on third base. You're standing there with the ball. The guy's barreling towards you. When you played, who was the one guy you just did not want to have barreling towards you? No, Bo at Jackson. Any cost? <laughs> Bo Jackson. Ah. You know, he, he, uh, so, so Bo was probably one A, and then Frank Thomas was one B. You know, seeing those guys come around third base, you know, just massive, fast, uh, just mountain men just coming around there, but. I was fortunate enough where, you know, I think Bo did it once with the ball was so late that he had to slide. So I thank God on that. There was a bang bang play with Frank. Uh, I think it was with the Brewers that was, but, you know, once again, he decided to just get himself up and, uh, and slide. So I've been very, I was very, very fortunate where nobody tanked me when I was in the big leagues. And kind of my motto was kind of like a, you know, kind of like a goal line stand. I said, the low man wins. So I was always trying to get as low as I could as the ball's coming in. So they had nothing to hit. And I'm not tall anyway. I mean, I'm five, five ten on a good day, and 235 pounds when I played. So I wasn't like I was a slim, slim pickings around the plate. So I just made sure I got as low as I could. Do you like now the way catchers are protected, or uh, do you say just go back to the old way and let's have a football tackle at home plate? Well, I think the whole game's changed where everybody's protected, not just the catchers. You got the the middle guys are protected where you can't make contact with them. I mean, it, it would be a, it'd be a shame to have a, you know, a, a really, really Muto miss time because somebody trucked him, you know, one of the best catchers in baseball nowadays, or you have, you know, I mean, not that 94 spring training. I took chipper out, 
chipper uh, who was in spring training. I took him out. He tore his ACL and he was done for a year. And it wasn't anything dirty. It was just I went in hard, caught his knee just right, and he was done for the year. So, you know, to be able to protect guys like that, you know, I'm I'm all for. You know, guys are in it to make money and and to entertain. And if those guys, if our best guys aren't on the field, then the fans are going to lose a little bit. You you know, you had 65 home runs in your career. The number the first one on May 5th of 1994 against Alan Watson. I'm sure you remember that. <laughs> Did you do any pimping around the uh, around the no. around the field? <laughs> Bat flip. Hit it, hit it and run as fast as you can to get the home plate and get your guards <laughs> and catch protector back on and get ready to go catch the next inning. So no, there was no pimping back in the day for me. No. And I hate that part of the game today. I mean, that is just I know I get, you know, people get excited, but, you know, some of the, the routines these guys have is just ridiculous. So just go go like you've done it before. Exactly. Especially if you are down, like if yeah. if you're losing 10 nothing and a guy yeah. hits a one run homer, I mean, just get around the bases and get it back to the game. <laughs> Come on. That's you know, about, you know, you're down by 30 and you score a touchdown. And you're going to you're going to celebrate. Hey, just get the ball back. And yeah. Celebrate. <laughs> that that's the crazy part of sports you know uh same thing in basketball that's what turned me off really to basketball because you know i'm watching a game the guy's down by 30 points and he he uh dunks on a on a center and he's pounding his chest well you're still down <laughs> by 28 points i mean come on you know and these bat flips and stuff but I guess I'm really old school. <laughs> oh hey, the person was watching Barry Sanders, you know, believe it or not, back in the day, I went on a recruiting trip to Ohio, Oklahoma State, and he was there. You know, I was, like I said, all-state quarterback, and I didn't have very many big offers. I had so many high offers, but, you know, he was there. But being able to meet him in person way back when and then watching him on TV, score a touchdown, just hands it to the umpire, the referee, and, you know, gets ready for the next series. So, Kelly – when you are playing ball, now we've had a lot of players on, and, and sometimes I get to ask them this. We know playing career doesn't last forever. And so at some point, you start thinking about what you're going to do after baseball. And as Jeff said in his intro, you're making quite a career out of coaching and you know teaching the, the young players how to do it right. When do you start thinking about that? And what what do you think was your impetus to go into coaching? Well, you know, having four boys helps too. You know, you, you want them to learn the proper way, you know, want to be, have hands on knowing that, you know, they're going to have an opportunity to go play at the next level. I think all three of my older sons, I know, no, all three of my older sons played college baseball Two, Two of them just got a degree. And like I said, the one is playing, playing a little bit of independent pro ball right now. The uh, third one is helping me coach at the university. He got his degree and I got a fourth one, which I got to go pick up on football practice here in about an hour and a half. So you know, it's uh, it, it's having hands on with your sons and, and giving them opportunity to do what you do, do what I did. You know, I don't push them in any way. Hey, do what you want to. Whether you want to be marching band, you want to be in our class. We never we never push them one way. And obviously, they just picked it up because they got a garage full of bats and balls all the time. So it was easy for them to to do that. But you know, I, I wanted to give back to the youth. Uh, I wasn't always the guy. Uh, I always had to work for what I what I got. I uh, was never a superstar, not a Hall of Famer, usually never the number one guy on a team, but always had to work harder than everybody else to at least earn a spot and, and to get where I got, you know, and, and I, I wanted to say, hey, I work a lot of kids that got cut from high school baseball or got cut from a junior high team. And 
you know what 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 makes me proud is is they work with me for an X amount of time and they they make the squad the next year, or they get a college scholarship, you know, in a couple of years down the road. So that was that was always my mo for doing what it did as far as club baseball and working with my kids. That game has seriously changed too, as well as you know club baseball and any kind of travel sports in general is just so watered down and it's a it's a money maker, it's a money grab, it's. You know, it's tough to watch sometimes, and I've kind of backed off of that a little bit and, you know, just concentrating on my youngest right now, freshman in high school, playing football, he's a really good baseball player. Uh, so I want to make sure that he has the best training for me and, and whoever else I can bring in to get him where he wants to be. But, you know, my, my MO is always giving back to the community, giving back to to the youth, uh, youth sports around here. And. Uh, you know, it, it's a little more tougher nowadays, uh, you know, and I, I've been trying to get on Tony Clark and those guys, the player association. Hey, we need to get we need to get a little bit more grasp on the youth uh, side of things because it's just it's out of out of hand right now. I mean, everybody's it's a money grab for everybody. Yeah, you're a coach. You coach for two teams. Like I said, the uh, the, the Black Bears and, and and Gilbert. What's they called it? The Gilbert Park University the Buccaneers. Yeah, the Buccaneers. There you go. You have. Two boys on that team, right? There you go. Yeah, they, Alex, yeah, Alex Aaron, right? Alex is playing pro ball, and Aaron just graduated. So oh, they, they're off on their own now. Like I said, Aaron's the one that's helping me, and Alex was playing a little pro ball. And, yeah, it was nice coaching them the last couple of years. We were actually halfway decent. Uh, we just didn't have the have the arms on the bump. So anybody listening, and we got some guys that can throw 86 to 92, we can take you in a heartbeat. Now, do do they play with the bigger bases now? They they adopt to the major league rules with the bigger bases and the pitch clock and all that stuff. We're not there at the biggest bigger bases. We've got a pitch clock. We've got the fifteen and twenty second pitch rule. Uh, we, we play by we're NEI program, but we play NCAA rules. So it's 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 speed up rules. Yeah, we got to get get on the bump, get ready. You got you know we priced it today. Got one hundred twenty seconds in between innings to get in and out. Yeah, it's uh, everything's the same except for the bases. Now, now there's a difference between coaching and, and managing, and you had some pretty good managers in Dallas Green, Phil Garner, Buck, who's trying to still get a job today, Bob Melvin, who's still coaching today. You had two Hall of Famers, Joe Torre and, and Tony Larusa, and it, there's got to be a difference between what you do as as a coach and the, what they did as a manager. But did you take any of what they taught you into your coaching style? Oh yeah, we take a little bit of everybody. You know, I go back to my junior college days. I uh, played for a guy named Lloyd Simmons. You know, he was at one time winning as coach of all of college baseball, and we just played tons of tons of baseball games in the fall and spring. You know, and it's you try to take a little bit from him, like the, the 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 work ethic of him in the mornings. You know, a little bit of the toughness from Dallas Green, uh, Scrap Iron, Phil Garner, the organization that Buck brings into a, a program. Uh, Tony Pena was just fun. You know, he was a fun. He wanted to be a, your buddy. You know, and Bob Melvin was more of a laid back guy. So situations may say, hey, I got to bring out my Tony Payne today or I got to bring out my my Dallas Green today or I'm going to bring out my Lloyd Simmons today. So, you know, every day it might have a different uh, personality. Depends on the manager I played for. So it, it's it, it's pretty neat. Like I take a little bit of everything from all those guys. So you're a schizophrenic coach. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> faces and uh, emotions. <laughs> Any ambitions to uh, uh, go further to a higher level to minor league ball, major league baseball as a coach, or uh, anything in that order? 
I do. I, with my young guy being a freshman, I'd like to give him a couple more years so I don't have to travel. I mean, that's the biggest thing. You know, you, you play, I played 17 years total, you know, and you're gone from February to October. And, mm. you know, it's, it, it's rough in the family, uh, you know, but with the three older boys almost out of the house and just a young one, I think he's ready to see me some, do something a little bit more higher, higher level. You know, but right now I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, I should have a really, really good squad this year. I got a couple of draft eligible guys, you know, so we should have a good season if we keep them all eligible, get them in the classroom, all that good stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I actually talked to Mike Morgan, text him this morning. Uh, you know, I want to get, I haven't had Craig Council's number in quite a while. I want to get a hold of him and congratulate him since I live in Mesa, Arizona, and he's going to be in spring training you know, five minutes down the road, see if I can reconnect, go hang out with them during spring training. So, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are aspirations. Ellie, as a, as a coach and, you know, you, you don't hear about it as much. I mean, there's still, they, every once in a while, a player gets suspended from the majors for PEDs, but, uh, and you of course played during a time when there may have been PEDs were out there, but you have these impressionable <laughs> young players. And they look to you for advice. One, do you ever notice that players, how am I saying this? Do you ever see that maybe players might be using things or or do they talk to you about that? Or is there any, does, does that ever come up? I, I, no, no, nowadays, I mean, every level is testing. So it, it's tough. To get oh, they away. test at your level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we test the NCAA test. You know, mm. obviously Major League Baseball and Meyer League's test. Uh, you know, when we, I, I joked, I joked about this a couple of times last week. I mean, shoot, you know, I've, if, if I would have done something like that, I'd probably had 40 more home runs because my warning track, well, as I hit the warning track, would have got another 10 to 20 feet and, and we'd hit home runs. And I might not have been a college coach now. I might have been assigned a, signed a Todd, Todd Hundley deal or a Paul Duca deal and, you know, went <laughs> racing horses somewhere. But hey, you know, I, I kept myself clean. I just, you know, try to work harder than the next guy. And, you know, this is where I'm at. And I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Now, just tell us about, you mentioned that what you're coaching in is, what is it, NI? So it's in NEI. It's, there's NEI. 205 institutions across the country. It, it's, you know, I think we had three guys drafted in the 20 rounds this last year. It's probably equal to or maybe actually a step above uh, D2, NCAA D2. You know, I think we could take some lower level D1s on any given day. Uh, and then the uh, the summer job is the Callus Black Bears, the West Coast League, which is, it's a Major League Baseball affiliated league. It's one of the few. It's probably a step below the, the Cape Cod. Uh, all my guys were basically D1 guys this last year. We made the playoffs. Really good group of kids this last year. Great ownership group. The revamp in the field that we play in, you know, we lost to Corvallis, which they play in Oregon State's, uh, Oregon State University's baseball facility. So it's a, it's a pretty good league. I do a little recruiting out there too, so that that always helps. <laughs> you mentioned that you lived uh, in in Arizona area, Mesa, Arizona. I know Tempe is a, where the ASU baseball is, and that's one of the biggest schools uh, for baseball. Willie Bloomquist, oh, I'm sure you know, is the the coach there. Any, any interaction between your program and their program just to talk, maybe have ideas going back and forth? Yeah, no, I text Willie. So, 
usually all the D ones when, when Andy Stankwitz was at Grand Canyon and then you got, you got Bloom at, uh, uh, at ASU and then you got Chip down in U of A, Chip Hell. I played for Chip Hell in the Meyer Leagues way back when. You know, I'll shoot them a message. Hey, you got any good guys that are willing? Because they'll cut some guys at break, which kind of sucks, but it is what it is. They'll cut some mm-hmm. guys at, at, at Christmas break and they're going to want to play baseball somewhere. So I usually pick up every couple of years, I'll pick up one or two guys from those guys. So it, it helps our program out. Kelly, yeah. uh, the, the philosophy with pitchers today, it, it seems to, to be that uh, they go out and they throw at 100%. And in the older days, the, the, the guys used to, you know, pitch maybe 95%, 90%, hold a little bit in reserve for when they really needed it. That's how they used to go, seven, eight innings a game. Now that now that's all changed. And it seems like a general philosophy that if the guy can throw hard for five innings and then we take him out, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm with bigger, bigger rosters. You got bigger bullpens now. You got a lot of money invested in these arms, so you really got to kind of monitor them. You know, mm-hmm. I guess that I don't know why the magic number seems to be a hundred. You know, everybody gets to be a hundred. Well, they're going to arms going to fall off, but you know, <laughs> I've caught I caught Randy and he threw 140 and 150 games, hey. 50 innings or 50 pitches back to back games. I'm like, you know, and he did okay. It's just a, another another evolution of the baseball game. There's so much money involved in these guys. They kind of got to pamper them a little bit and make sure that. You know, they're getting their money uh, in their innings in. Not that they get a lot of innings, but they're days. You know, Scherzer's going to start, and you want to see Scherzer out there for five or six, you know, every fifth day. You know, same thing with DeGrom. I mean, obviously, he's gone through two of them, two two Tommy Johns. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how, how how fun is it to watch him go out there and pitch, you know, every fifth day, you know, throwing right. 100 and just, just dominating. So, yeah, it's a little bit different. You know, you're not going to see the Nolan Ryan's out there throwing 300 innings anymore. That's for sure. And I, I think I think we're going to barely get to probably what 150. And I don't even know what who threw the most innings this year. I think uh, the D-backs guy did. Uh, he, he I think he that, topped 200. That gallon? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he topped 200. Which you know they're probably going to really monitor him in spring training and you know really baby him next uh, April and May. Make sure he's not overused. Kelly, do you have players that have had Tommy John surgery or who, while they're playing on your team, have needed it? Are you I've seeing had, that more? I had Tommy John in 04, and I came back and played another two years as a catcher. Oh. So I've came back. I've got I got two guys that came from other programs that have Tommy John, and I just brought him in on, you know, the ability that, hey, you know, they're – Tommy John's not a big deal. You get your rehab in. A lot of guys are throwing harder when they come out of Tommy John. They're more fit, you know. So it's not like it's a it's a bugaboo or anything or or, or red red mark on you. You know, you get your work in. You're able to throw in the next nine months. You should be good to go. It's like a tune up. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Power rotation, right? Right. And you know, Kelly, you have I I don't know exactly what it is, but I know I heard you have some. Uh, quite a nice one loss record as a coach. You've, you've, what, what's your record in the, in the years that you've been coaching the school? Well, the last two years sucked, but we're, we're, we're getting out of there. Oh, so, okay. So I, first two years, we won 36 and 40 games. And then, uh, uh, I took a year off because I, I switched jobs. I went from another school, Mesa, to a school in Gilbert. Mm-hmm. And then we started off hot and then we had COVID. COVID year wasn't very good. Last year, we lost 30 games, which, 
you know, I don't have much hair anyway, but I'll probably lose the rest of it if I get close <laughs> this year. I already told the boys that. So, yeah, I mean, I've won 100 games, and this is my fifth year as a college coach. So, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's not where I want it to be. We want to average probably 38, 38 wins a year for the next few years, and I'll, I'll be happy. Out of 50, we're allowed to play 50 games. That's so, a pretty good record. All in a regular season, I'd be happy. You know, going back to your ma- major league, the Russ, you must have had Russ Ortiz's number because I see you hit, you hit up home runs three in a row off of him, two in one game, and then a week later, he hit another one. So he must be uh, saying, No, oh, I don't want to see uh, Kelly Sinet anymore at bat. Yeah, Russ, <laughs> I hit the first two home runs in uh, back then, I think it was called Pac Bell, so the new stadium in uh, uh, San Francisco. So I had the first two home run games there, and they were both off of him. I don't know. For some reason I saw the ball well off of him. Him and uh, uh, Mike Hampton. So Mike Hampton, little lefty, played for the Mets. You know those guys were. They didn't want to see me, and that was two of many that you know. And then there's other guys on the other end where you know shilling like on me and Merker on me. And there's some guys that Kerry Wood. Somebody brought up Kerry Wood's numbers against me the other day. I got one home run off of him, but like eleven strikeouts. So yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Russell's a good good matchup. Right. I mean, you, I've seen the, I'm looking at the players you played with and they, they are at some roster. I mean, you played with Albert Pujols, Yadayama Molina, Scott Rowland, Ken Griffey, Barry Larkin, Mike Messino, Hall of Famer, Adam Rainwright is going to go in the Hall of Fame. You mentioned Randy Johnson and Mario, Mariano Rivera. Now, uh, how was Mariano Rivera to catch? It was, it was amazingly easy. I mean, it's, it's one pitch, but it's, it's a pitch that you can't simulate. You know, you can't you can't put a ball in a pitching machine to do what he does. You know, it's it's 94 to 98 with just a little bit of a cut. He just kept the ball off the barrel, you know, and, you know, he dominated all those years with one pitch. It's truly, truly amazing. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was easy. It's the ball going to start right. You know, ball's going to start middle and just going to go in, you know, and he, he can make it start away and go to the outside or he can start the middle and go in. So we just and it was funny to watch hitters hitters would move off the plate or on the plate uh, in certain situations. And, and we would, he would just see their feet move and he would just move, move the pitch with his feet, with their feet. Kelly, if I gave you a choice catching Randy Johnson for a whole game where your hand at the end of the game is just going to be numb <laughs> or catching a knuckleball pitcher, I'll who are you Randy, picking? I'll take Randy any day. I've caught three knuckleballers and they're not fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I was with the Reds, I caught Jared Fernandez in San Diego, old San Diego Stadium. I had three pass balls in one inning, and, and he had a dance, and he couldn't throw up for a strike. And it was just – I was on roller skates behind home play, so it wasn't it wasn't fun at all. Yeah, I caught Steve Sparks way back in the day. And then uh, I caught I caught Tom Candiotti in spring training, you know, way back when the Indians were in, were in Tucson with, with spring training. So that's the three guys I've caught. I'd rather catch Randy. You have a special <laughs> mitt when you special mitt yeah, when you're catching a knuckleball, right? We, we did. I had one, but I, it was you know Wilson makes probably the best glove out there, and, and they're just tough to break in. But once you break them in, they're they're good. But I, I could never get it broken in. The ball just kept bouncing out. And Jared Jared had a fast pitch softball glove, and it just I I, I struggled with it. So it was it was not fun. I'm just. Glad, you know, you don't want everybody to get sent down, but I'm kind of glad you got, you got sent down. 
Kelly, who who was the the guy when you were playing that when he came up to hit, you said, oh, I don't know what to call for this guy. The right-hander would be Gary Sheffield, left would be Larry Walker. You know, Chef just so, so quick, and, you know, you just never could get anything by him. And, you know, he, he did, for as hard as he swung, he put the ball in play a lot, and it was a loud sound, too. It wasn't – there was no soft contact ever with him. And then Larry Walker was just kind of a complete hitter. You know, I played against Bonds, too, but Bonds – Bond's got a lot of calls his way, but, you know, having Larry just spray the ball around and just, you know, smart guy, not that anybody else, not, but, you know, he was, he was always a tough out for me uh, way back when. You know, baseball is a, uh, it's a tough business. You you survived 14 years in it. You've been uh, released a couple of times. You've been traded. I mean, how does it feel when they bring you and say, hey, you've been traded. I know you've been traded to the, the Brewers and then to Philly from the Reds. How 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 those conversations go? I mean, it's it's you know it, you just it's got like a band aid, rip it off. And say, hey, here's here's where you're going. <laughs> I mean, a couple instances. I, I knew I was going to get traded when I was with the Reds, so just didn't know where. The one uh, from uh, the one in Milwaukee kind of caught me off guard with with the Mets to to Milwaukee, but you know you just you can't you can't dwell on it. You, you know you got a job to do. You know, there's going to be six to eight other catchers in there trying to earn one of the two spots. So, and then that's with all 30 teams. So you just got to, you know, get your ass in gear and, and go get it done. Like I said, just that's what my nickname is. Just grind it out. I'm going to grind it out in the offseason, try to be in the best shape I can, go earn a job during spring training. When, when you were with the Reds, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was a teammate. That must have been the sweetest left-handed swing you ever saw. I mean, this guy had so much natural ability. Uh, anything uh, you want to tell us about the, the, the great Ken Griffey Jr.? Oh, just fun to watch. You know, just uh, – yeah, but what sucked was we, we got robbed of a lot of his time because he had two ham- two pulled hamstrings two of the three years I was there. Yeah. And I think the other time he broke something or wrists uh, or something, and then, you know – the treat was his dad was there. So watching those two interact, you know, a father and son. And that's, I think that's what helped me. That's why I really wanted to be around my kids is knowing, well, well, shoot, seniors there and juniors this good. Well, how can my kids, if I'm around them as well, you know, so that was, that, that was special watching those two interact, but watching him go after ball in center field when he's healthy and then watching his swings at home plate when he's healthy. Yeah. That's, that's special. Mm-hmm. You know, Kelly, you talked about, Every year, you know, you got to win a place on the team. And, you know, not every player is is a uh, Bryce Harper who gets a 13-year contract, no trade clause, and uh, knows that he's going to be in a city. I was always curious when when you, like you're, you're with one team, you get traded to another. It's not like you have time to look for a place to live, to pack up and move. And, you know, you have a, a week to get... How does that work? How do you, do you well, are you living in a hotel? What about your family? I mean, t- take us behind the scenes. I'd love to hear what it's like. Well, it's, it's having a good support staff. You know, the wife, she's the, she's the backbone of the family. She kind of took care of a lot of that. You know, that was back in 95, 96. Now you have these services that came in, you contact them. Hey, I'm going this city. Um, I need a fully furnished two, three bedroom apartment. What do you got? So that really, really helped. And then here locally in Arizona, I had some buddies that were in the, in, in the used car business. So whenever we need something shipped, we'd send it over there and they would ship it to the city we were at. And we just had to worry about getting there. Yeah. But I mean, it, it starts at home, you know, and that's, 
she she did a great job of of keeping everything on the home front, you know, buttoned down, raising the boys, you know, when I was always traveling. So that was always that was always tough on on the family. But those services, they when they started to come in, that really helped a lot about finding places to live. That's a, that's interesting. I always wondered that because, you know, like when when people come here and then like as free agents or something and you hear, oh, they're looking in Westchester for homes or they're looking on Long Island or they're, you know, they have no idea what any place is. And you're they trade you. You got to get to that team. They need you. And it's not like you've got time to you know you might have now you might be paying rent on a couple of places at the same time because you got to get out of there but i guess i guess those services help the first two years in new york was was a nightmare 94 95 finding a place to live it was just and it cost so much money you know rookie money back then was not the seven hundred fifty thousand you're getting a day you're you're based on 109 you know and they're wanting you know five thousand dollars six thousand dollars up front you know, I was just a lowly Miley guy before that. So right. that was tough. You know, it's it's changed a lot nowadays. I mean, everybody's the agents are more involved now in, in helping you with with off the field stuff as well. Yeah. Kelly, we really appreciate your time. I have one last question. And I, I, I guess I'm, I, I assume I know the question to this, the answer to this. But I assume you identify yourself as more as a uh, Arizona Diamondback for all the teams that you played for now that you're living in Arizona and you've played a. The majority, you know, most mostly games with the Arizona Diamondbacks, but with under Buck Showalter, is that is that the case? Yeah, I mean, it's you know three and a half years, and we made our home here. It's uh, it's a special place, you know. We got to go check out the first game of the World Series. It was, and got to go uh, hang out. I guess the owners the owners had a little uh, little pregame ceremony for either season ticket holders or next players. I got to see Jay Bell. You know, it was a it was a neat it was it was neat. Yeah, but yeah, I probably identify myself more, more as a D back. Very, very nice. Yeah. My, my son actually worked for MLB and and, played, and was in the press box for most of the games at Diamondbacks. So, uh, you know, he, I know he's a Yankee fan, but he uh, also likes the Diamondbacks and seems to work there all, the, whole, the whole season. <laughs> Kelly, we really appreciate your time. And anything else you want to tell the people who uh, you know, watch you, what you played? I mean, you were, you know, 14 year career is nothing to sneeze at. No, just just keep working hard. You know, I, I tell everybody. And especially on the baseball side of it, play as long as you can until they take the jersey off your back. And I'm still in that that situation. I get to put a jersey on. You know, I don't put it on practice, but you know, we're we're going to start up in January here. And like I told you earlier, if if, if there's any pitchers out there throwing 86 to 92, we're going to hit you up. Come to Arizona, nice. if you have a place to play. We're on, you know, 75 degrees outside. We're scrimmaging. You know, we go we go year round out here. And Kelly, you've got a nice you've got a nice indoor training center in uh, Mesa, Arizona, from what I well, saw. I just recently sold that, so I'm oh. uh, I've gotten out of that. It's okay. Uh, you know, I I couldn't spend as much time down there being being the college coach. So uh, you know, I I moved it to a family that redid a little bit, and they're catering to the youth uh, youth development. So it's it's still in good hands. But yeah, with me doing the college thing right now, that's that's my full time gig. All right. no. Gary, you got good anything else to, for you got anything else for I'm Kelly? Good. I want to thank Kelly for coming on and thank you guys for having me. All right, Kelly, we appreciate it so much. And uh we it, what you're doing for you're doing it right. You know, you're you're teaching these kids and you know, not not everyone's going on to the major leagues, right? But no. but you're teaching them right and 
and it's it's nice it's admirable and we really appreciate you coming on with us yeah and good luck for the upcoming season with the buccaneers yeah uh, no sounds great appreciate it guys and the last thing is like go bucks go bucks <laughs> go <laughs> bucks you. thank you kelly Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast. And if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Lynn. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue, all in one little package. So check it out. Baseball and BBQ with Lynn and Jeff. Okay, guys, take it away. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Gary. That was a pretty good interview. And you know what? Kelly Stinnett, former Major League Baseball player, now coaching in, in college. That's great. And giving he's giving back. He's doing it the right way. Yeah. And as we said, not all the players are going to become major leaguers. And he's teaching them the right way. I think it's great. We really appreciate Gary Mack coming on with us. You know what I would appreciate, Jeff? What's that? I would appreciate if somebody would get me some tools from baseballbbq.com. Maybe a cutting board. Maybe. Whatever. Because baseballbbq.com has grilling tools and accessories with baseball bat handles. You're going to love them. So go to their website today. That's baseballbbq.com. You won't be sorry. And if you want to reach the show. Give us a call, 516-855-8214. Our email is baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Tweet us on X at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. We have a website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, subscribe. And all that fun stuff. Tell your friends. Tell them. Tell them. And Jeff, you've got a special surprise for us. Well, it's not a surprise. Everybody knows it's coming, but they but they look forward to it. No, it's not a rant. Okay. Not this but time. Not this time, but go ahead, Jeff. The baseball quote of the week. You may not think you're going to make it. You may want to quit. But if you keep your eye on the ball, you can accomplish anything. It's Hall of Famer, Hank, the hammer, Aaron. Fantastic quote. Fantastic player. And you know what? There's one person that you won't have to tell because he's coming up. And that is John Shirey of Chunky Barbecue. You could say that our guest has basically taken the barbecue competition world by storm. Some might even call him an overnight success. But... We're going to find out all about that. This, The team is Chunky Barbecue. They were the Mid-Atlantic Barbecue Association Team of the Year in 2023. Finished third for the KCBS Team of the Year in 2023. They had 26 top 10 finishes, six grand champions, five reserve champions. As I said, they are taking the barbecue world by storm. They're certainly putting a lot of miles on whatever vehicles they're driving. So we're going to find all out all about that and, and see what does it take to be basically a, a winning championship barbecue team. So our guest is John Shirey. John, welcome 
to baseball and barbecue. Hey, uh, thank you for having me, guys. Um, I'm excited to be here. We're, we're very glad to have you. You're, you're, so you're actually from Hershey, Pennsylvania, right? Correct. Yeah, that's where we live currently. I love Hershey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hershey's a nice little town. I mean, I'm originally from the State College area. Uh, my wife from the Pittsburgh area, but we were currently in the Hershey area. All right. So, John, tell us, and and I, of course, did some research. So uh, I'm asking you questions that I know the answers, but <laughs> most people don't. <laughs> tell us how, when you started in competition barbecue and uh, and what got you started? Um, so we started back in 2017. It was the Fredericksburg Jamboree uh, down in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And what got us started, like a lot of guys, we were big fans of the you know the TV show Barbecue Pitmasters. So that's kind of what got us started. But the one year we were watching, they were at the Barbecue Jamboree. And so I looked it up. It was about, we were living closer to the state college area at the time. So it was about three, four hours away for us. So in 2016, we went down and checked it out to the spectators. They did like a people's choice. So we walked around. But as we're trying, everyone's pulled pork. I keep looking at my wife and I'm like, we can do this. Like, you know, like, like this isn't like, I think we could really do this. So we made our goal. And then, you know, the next year to go there and compete. So 2017, um, we had bought a stumps gravity feed. We bought that in November, 2016. And we loaded that up on this little single axle trailer, drove to Fredericksburg, um, competed in day two. And we didn't finish dead last. That was, you know, that was the that was the goal going in. We didn't want to finish dead last. Um, I believe we finished like 13th in pork. That or that was our closest to getting a call. We were about a half point out of the top 10, and I believe we finished about middle of the pack. And so we we were kind of we were hooked from that point on. I mean, what what impressed us the most is because like you, know, you watch the you know you watch the show and they're saying about you know, how friendly everyone is, how well welcoming, and we saw that right out of the gate. Like the first night we're there, people are you know, inviting you over their sites. You know, they're they're feeding you, they're you know, you're drinking, you're having a good time. We were hooked, you know, just instantly. John, if if you had come in dead last, you still would have been hooked, right? Probably, but it would have been a lot more frustrating on that drive home. <laughs> <laughs> John, how large is your team? Um, it's it's just my wife and I, so it's just the two of us. Um, occasionally we'll bring our chocolate lab along. <laughs> but she's she's she just adds to the list of stuff we have to do. So um, yeah, just the two of us. She's the official taster. She is the official taster. She will sit there and eat brisket for days. <laughs> yeah, so John, you know, I want to. I'm, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Years ago, before you know, before I was into barbecue at all, and I, I was just I was just getting into barbecue. There was a contest actually at Belmont Racetrack, which is not far from uh, where Jeff and I live. And it was in a parking lot there. And it was so we we get there and basically there's just a bunch of teams. I knew nothing about competitive barbecue. And they're just sitting there on the concrete with chairs <laughs> and their pits. And well, one, I went there thinking I was going to get to sample some barbecue but that's not the case. But it seemed like they were talking to each other, but as far as the environment, it was just in the hot sun on a paved parking lot. <laughs> and then you hear about contests that are just, people have beautiful tents set up, nice areas, 
So what I wanted to know is what makes a great contest other than winning it? Like what makes a, a great <laughs> contest environment? What what do you like about when you go to a, a prime contest? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the venue matters a lot. Um, it's not everything. The, big, the first thing I, I pay attention to is the organizer themselves. Um, the organizer can really make or break a contest. Um, even if the, even if the venue's not quite what you would like, but yeah, concrete's not. It's good in some ways and bad in others. Um, like if you're trying to park a very heavy trailer, concrete, you know, concrete or asphalt's great. But I, I usually tend to prefer like a field. It's a little more comfortable. But what we the the ones we really like honestly are the ones that are they're like our probably our three favorite contests are more on the shore. Um, our current favorite's probably Wildwood, New Jersey. Your stones throw from the ocean. I mean, you'll pull in. There will be 60 teams set up, you know, in a parking lot, 20 by 20 spots. But it's the atmosphere. You, know, you have, like, they'll, they'll bring about 100,000 people through there over the course of the weekend. And they're walking through. And everybody's, you know, you, you try to converse as much as you can with the people. Because they do get frustrated when they can't sample anything from us. But you still try to interact with them so they still have a good experience. And there's vendors and that to take care of them. But yeah, I mean, the organizer venues really matter. For me, payouts don't matter a whole lot. I mean, you definitely want to try to get some of your money back, but I'm more about trophies. That, that's what I want. You know, if, if, if a contest has some cool trophies, um, we have some good contests in the mid Atlantic for that. So that can make or break, you know, contest like, but that's probably the, the, the biggest things we look at. We don't even look at distance so, you know, so much anymore. I mean, like this year, we put, like you said, we put a lot of miles on. We probably put, 25, 30,000 miles on to win contest. Again, so much of it's the organizer, the venue, the, the people in general. Although most in most places we go to, the people are great. But I mean, those are probably the big things. Like I said, I don't, some guys get kind of caught up in, you know, what's the contest pay? If, you, if you're going into competition barbecue looking to make money, you're in, you're in the wrong hobby. Uh, you have to go in knowing, you're, even if you win, you're still losing money. You might break even on a, on a good weekend. Yeah, a lot for me is, just, is the organizer. Like, I will go, I'll drive 8, 10, 12 hours if I really like the organizer. And and that's the thing. Now, it's mostly during, you know, the, the warmer months, right? How many uh, contests are you doing per year now? <laughs> the last two years, we've done 36 each year. That's, it's probably, I, as much as I'd like to say we're going to slow down a little this year, we'll probably do somewhere between 30 to 35. And you have a regular um, job. Yes. So essentially yeah. comp bar competition barbecue is a second job, really. Right. Uh, once I'm done at four, you know, done at four o'clock, come home, dinner, and then I start trimming. Um, or I'm getting sauces ready, getting rubs ready, you know, pack on the trailer. It it is a it's a full time job, but again, once you once you get in, you like we've been doing it long enough now, we know some at this point even even though we haven't been doing it that long, I like seeing my friends every weekend. Like mm -hmm. we, we, you know, even these last few months, you know, we're texting each other. We're making, we're talking on the phone once a week, keeping in touch. I, I'm just looking forward to getting back out there and see everybody, honestly. You know, especially, well, I don't know in your area, but when you're traveling to a contest, like you said, eight, 10, 12 hours, you, you must be driving through the night to get to these contests. Typically I'll leave Thursday night. Um, I'll leave right after work. So by five, six o'clock, I'm on the road. And depending on how far it is, either I will try to get within, say, an hour of the contest and then crash and get up in the morning to 
go get set up. Um, or I'll drive like part way. If it's, if it's a longer contest, say if it's 10, 12 hours, I might find a campground halfway in between, you know, stop, sleep for the night, get back up six in the morning, drive. You really have to want to do it. I, there's no other way around it. I mean, cause to do this many and to travel that much, I mean, again, you're going to be leaving. You know, and a lot of guys are even on site Thursdays. I, I'm, I'm surprised. Like I'll pull in, you know, 8 a.m., you know, Friday and half the sites already are already, you know, set up. Like guys got in the day before, so I would say you do pretty, pretty, pretty good because you said you were thirty-six contests, and you came in first or second grand champion or reserve reserve grand champion eleven a time, eleven times. <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, no. Th- this year we had a pretty good conversion rate. Um, you like to try to keep. You'd like to win. Like, a lot of us like it's about ten percent. Like if you enter ten contests, you like think you can at least win one. Um, so, I mean, this year, first or second, yeah, we were right around 33% between being first or second. So, it was it was a good year. All these KCBS events or Mid-Atlantic Mid- or any other uh, sanctioned body? These were, all, these were all KCBS. We did do one state cook-off. Um, we did that in, I want to say, August, I think. Um, we'd like to go try a few. We're, one of the goals for this year is to get down to Texas and try a CBA event. I just I see the belt buckles on that down in Texas, and I just I'm like, I want one. <laughs> <laughs> the belt buckles are big down there. Uh, you also competed in the Jack Daniels Championship, didn't you? Yes, we've been at the Jack uh, the last two years. Nice, nice. How do you like, like that experience? The Jack is so I'm a golfer. I kind of compare it's it's very much like like the Masters in a way. Um, it's just a different vibe. Like they say about the, like the traditions of it and just. Like you get in town, they they really do lay the red carpet. You know, they're very welcoming. Um, there's and there's a lot of stuff to do. I know the the first year we went, we were overwhelmed. We got in over our head. We tried to do everything, and it definitely it, it impacted the cook a little bit. But we had a great time. I mean, and I will go back every year that I'm invited. Nice. And what about the American Royal? You've cooked there, right? Yes. Yeah, we've been the Royal the last three years. The Royal. That one might even be harder to describe because you're, you're driving into the Kansas Speedway and you come up out of the tunnel and there's just it's just a big barbecue party. Um, it really is. I mean, this year, I think they had over what, close to 600 teams for the open. Um, we were actually parked near Luke Darnell, we, old Virginia Smoke. We were on the farthest. So from when you, where you come in, in the, uh, from under the tunnel, we were basically straight across on the exact opposite side up against the fence. But it's just everybody and anybody who is anybody in barbecue is there. So it's just, it's like the granddaddy of them all. It's the one we all want to win. Yeah, that's, if, if I have a goal, it's to win the Open. It's certainly not, it, it's a pretty big mountain to climb. But that, that that's like the one goal I probably have at this point. Yeah. Yeah, because Jeff and I were in Kansas City for the first time. We had been shamed by numerous people. And we finally, episode 200. In honor of that, we went to Kansas City. You know, different cities have different things that are their focus, I guess. And when you get off the airplane, you know you are in a barbecue town. There is no (laughs) denying it. Uh, There's a huge American Royal sign. You've got barbecue sauce. The gift shops have sauces and rubs. There's a meat. Mitch has a place there. I mean, so Kansas City, the American Royal, it's huge. Oh no! I mean, we're heading back out next weekend for the KCBS banquet. So 
Um, it's the it's the one place I can go, and if I'm wearing like a like a, like a barbecue sweatshirt, like people will stop you, you know, in in the airport to ask why are you here. Um, I know the first time we ever went out to Kansas City, the woman at the uh, rental car asked us why are you here, and we're like we're here to take a barbecue class. She talked to us for a half hour all about barbecue, and I'm like, well, I just want my rental car <laughs> to get moving. But yeah, no, it's it's a big thing out there though. It is. It's the part of their tourism. It it's yes. the barbecue. Speaking of classes, I see that you also uh, give barbecue classes. We just started that last year. Um, so we're friends with a bunch of a couple of brothers out of New York, um, Top Gun Barbecue. He approached me at the Jack last year, um, asking if I ever thought about doing a class, and I was like, I had. Um, it sounded like a good idea, though. So we've done two of those so far now. Um, they've both done really well. We try to help the. The one thing I realized from when we started to now, like competition barbecue is a whole lot more fun when your name's getting called. So many guys are asking, and it's like, when I do a class, you know, you, just to show them enough to get your, enough to get the basics, you know, because a lot of these guys have no idea what they're doing. We had no idea what we were doing until we took our first class. I mean, like the first class we took, it was eye-opening. Once we took that first class, it's just been nonstop ever since. But, you know, and, and there's just, there are some classes out this way, but like I said, we're just in our area though, like in the, of the Mid Atlantic. There's some down south, and like there's like, like Bill Gillespie does one up in the, like the New England area, um, but there's mm-hmm. not a lot like in our area. Now you mentioned before uh, you watched the Barbecue Pitmasters, and I I also watched that show. And when I first started watching it, it really surprised me that the presentation of the barbecue is really important. I mean, just putting the stuff in the box. I mean, you have to have the the garnish, and it has to be up perfectly. And did you know that going into your when you started competition barbecue? I mean, we did just from watching the show. Um, even that's probably improved over time. Uh, my wife, she does she'll get she does the she does the boxes as far as getting the kale into them. Um, we both build the boxes, and I mean that's probably it's something I probably think we're it's probably one of the things we're strongest at. I mean, we make some beautiful looking boxes. Sometimes I think it actually hurts us more than it helps us because when the judges open that box, they see this beautiful professional box. You have to wow them. Like if you if you don't turn in good food, you know you can turn in a pretty box, but if it if it doesn't deliver, I think they I think it hit they hit you a little bit for that. So whenever you turn in that nice professional looking box, you have to it has to be just out of the park. I, I heard you uh, you actually go to sleep watching barbecue pitmasters and you. Yes. <laughs> I have it downloaded onto an iPad. So I will, it depends on what trailer we have, but yeah, typically I will, I'll put a season one. It's still my favorite season of barbecue pit masters. It was the, probably the most accurate is portraying what competition barbecue is like. So yeah, I'll sit there. I'll put that on, go to sleep. I'll wake up. I'll probably have to you know, hit repeat on a few episodes. And, um, but yeah, that's probably, that's probably the one sort of uh, ritual superstition I, I, that I would have with this. What is that? You have to watch the, a whole season <laughs> before well, you. I just, I just have to watch it. So I, I, you know, I usually lay down. I try to. I try to be in bed on Friday night about nine o'clock. Um, okay. So about nine o'clock, I'll lay down and I'll start season one, episode one, and I'll just lay there until I fall asleep. And then by what five in the morning, I'm back up. It's usually still playing. I think there's maybe eight episodes in the first season. Um, so it'll cover the amount of time I'm asleep anyway. <laughs> So, John, is is would if you were approached or the opportunity uh, presented itself, would you like to be on one of those shows? 
Oh, absolutely. We so when they were doing the barbecue, they did when they did the barbecue USA at the New Jersey competition. Was it last year? I believe they were in or the year before. They were in Blairstown. We were one of the, so when they had um they focused on the New Jersey when they focused mostly on like Luke Darnell and then have been Darling Nikki. We were actually parked next to them. We were I don't know if we were we were like us and Uncle Pig's barbecue pit. We were almost kind of the the, the backup so to speak. So what? So they were our trailers featured in that episode a lot. You, you can see it there in the background. But we did get to meet that. We we did get to meet Michael Simon. Oh, he was a great guy. He came over mm-hmm. and talked to us for a bit. Uh, but yeah, no. If, if given the opportunity, I would jump at it. Yeah, yeah. We were at Pig Beach uh, for for their fundraiser. Uh, Jeff, all of a sudden, I can't. Uh, Jeff Mishner. Thank you. And uh, Michael Simon did his show there. Unfortunately, this was last. This was in 2023. It was a pouring rainstorm that day. I felt, I mean, it was, they had all the cameras with all the plastic bags on them and, and everybody wanted to be inside. (laughs) And then you had the people that were out (laughs) under the tents and they just had to stay out there. And it was, it was, but I watch it on TV and you can't even, you can't really tell that it was raining. I mean, you could see in spots, but, but it was very interesting. So John, I'm looking at your Facebook page, and uh, I see a lot of the good charcoal company. Is they one of your sponsors? And uh, yes, okay. Uh, tell us about your relationship with them. Do they kind of offset your costs of, of getting meat for for the barbecue competitions? What I mean, so it's for the charcoal, um, they reached out to us. I'm trying to think here. So it's 2024 now. They reached out to us towards the end of 2022, um, asking if we'd be you know would be interested in working with them. You know, talk to them a little bit. You know, they're great people. They have a great, you know, they have a great cause. Um, they're focusing on like, like the charcoal is harvested. I believe I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I up a little bit more, refresh my memory, but um, sustainably out of Africa. And so, and I know one of their projects is they are currently building, they're building a warehouse down in Georgia because they, they do a lot of fundraisers, um, like feeding families in need stuff like that. Um, so they reached out, offered to basically supply our charcoal. Um, I haven't bought a, I haven't had to buy a bag of charcoal in two years. And again, they're they're great people. They're they're great to work with. They're slowly getting the presence out there. I see my, almost every every month or so, I'll see some you know some additional people you know using their product. Um, it burns really clean. It works for you know we cook hot and fast on drums. It's great for that. I don't know if how well it would work for like a low and slow type cook because it definitely wants to burn hot. John, in one interview, I heard you mention that you used a can cooker. Yes, we use uh, gateway drum smokers. Um, oh, okay. Very similar, like an uh, ugly drum smoker. Okay. Um, yeah, we we use four of those. Yeah, because it's funny when I heard that, I I always refer to it as a drum smoker, but I looked up can cooker. You know, I googled mm-hmm. it, and there was this can cooker junior, and it was a video on YouTube of these two people, and they had like a it looked like a pot, but it said can cooker <laughs> on it. And they were cutting up bell peppers and they put chicken in it and water and put it on the stove. Basically, they steamed it, boiled, whatever. And when it came out, it was boiled chicken with and it didn't look very appetizing. I hope they're <laughs> not listening. But uh, and and I thought this there's no this, there's no way he's cooking with this. So can cooker is a drum smoker. OK, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, they're definitely the end thing right now. More and more of them are popping up out, you know, on the East Coast on that. Um, I know there was a few of us that were kind of like a little ahead of the curve on that. Like I said, we 
we probably cooked about seven contests on our gravity feed. And then I said, went and took a class and just changed direction completely, bought four drums. And it's a, it's, it's a much simpler way of cooking. It is, it allows for a lot more sleep. You know, you're getting your brisket done in five hours. You're getting your pork and ribs done in about three. You know, um, but you, there's a little bit, there's a learning curve with it though. So, John, when you're packing up, I, I just thought of this because, uh, when, when you're packing up, you've just cooked all day and, and you've got the charcoal going and, and now the cook's over. How do you clean up after you have four drums that you were using? What's what's the cleanup like at the end of that? That's the one thing that I hate about <laughs> all of it. The cleanup is annoying. So, I mean, what we do, honestly, we'll just we'll shut them down. We'll close the intakes and everything, you know, get them, you know, get them, get them to the point they're cool enough. And then we just load everything up and then bring them home and clean them. Um, for uh-huh. one, it makes a mess on site. Mm-hmm. You know, and the last thing you want to do if you're in some, if you're in a like for us, for example, that Wildwood, New Jersey, if you're in this parking lot, the last thing I want to do is have ash and grease right. and all sorts of stuff. So we'll, we'll bring them home and clean them. Yeah. So it's a, it, it, like you said, it is, it's all week because now you're, you just came home from a contest. Who knows? Maybe you're, you, <laughs> you need to service your vehicle or whatever, or, and, and then you're cleaning up. You have to, it, it, it takes a lot of discipline to do this. I mean, you know, you have you have to have a schedule, or at least it helps to have a schedule. You know, so well, you know, Sundays you come home. You know, if you're home early enough, that's you start cleaning. But honestly, there's so many doubles anymore. We're getting in late Sunday, so like that gets pushed to Monday. Um, but like Monday through Thursday, it's every night there's something that needs done. Like so, you have to discipline is a big part of it. Being well organized is a big part of it. Um, it helps, like I said, at least with being having two of us. I couldn't, like, I couldn't imagine cooking by myself. There's just so much work that needs done. You know, really, in between cooks, like the cook itself isn't that bad, but it's everything leading up to and then after. John, how do you decide? As far as you said, like you cooked 35, 36 contests. How do you decide? You know, if you have an open weekend, and then you just, well, maybe I'll cook in a contest. I mean, do you ever? I mean, this past year that happened a lot because we. We were doing so well. Uh, we started the, I, you know, started the year. I had a plan. I had, you know, I laid out probably. I think I'd laid out through the end of June, and I'm like, we're gonna see where we're sitting in the June, and then we'll plan the rest of the year. But we were, we hadn't won yet, but we had like I think we had a few reserves. I mean, we really hadn't even missed the top. I, I, we weren't. We hadn't landed outside the top five in like three months. Um, so we could tell we were just right there, and then. We have like, you know, there was, there were the contests we knew we would do just, we've done them before. And then we started filling in gaps. Um, like one weekend we drove out to Missouri, did a double drove home and we were, we were going to take that weekend off, but we're right in the middle of the points chase. We took two drums, loaded them in the truck and drove back to Oklahoma. Cooked a single. Uh, That wasn't our, that was, that was some bad life decisions there, but, um, yeah, so we drove to Missouri back, then out back out to Oklahoma. But for the trip out, like so that time, we rather than take our trailer, we just took two drums um, and a pop up and cooked out of that. As I say, no, but we did go to Oklahoma. I think we we got a one eighty in pork. Um, we're cooking on two drums and just three three pork butts. So it was it was worth the trip. At least. John, you know we're almost half what uh, half hour into our conversation, and I can't believe I didn't ask you this yet. But how did you come up with the name Chunky Barbecue? I, I wish I had a good story for that one. So that part of the reason why you come up with chunky barbecue is neither my wife or I are creative. And so back 
2017 were like, I need a team name. We're looking at the application. I need a team name. And so I was joking with her. There's my, my wife hates, hates bananas and there's chunky monkey ice cream. And so I was like, what about chunky monkey, you know, barbecue? And she's like, no, you're not calling it chunky monkey barbecue. And I'm like, all right, chunky barbecue. And that's how we, it was just, it was just that simple. But like a lot, and you know, like I said, a lot of it just stems from neither one of us being that creative. But, but it works. <laughs> it, it, it works. <laughs> and you, your logo is a, a pig holding a knife. Yes. And, and, and it says chunky barbecue. Any story behind how you got, came up with the logo? Not, no, we, that's probably about the third different one we've had. And even this year, I'm like, I want to have it redone, redone again. Now we hired somebody. That's what he came up with. I'm like, yeah, I like it. Um, but we also have just like a very simple, just chunky barbecue script that I, per- mm-hmm. I personally just like a little bit better. It's just simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of like, if you look at a lot of the, t- the look at a lot of the guys that do this a lot, if you look at their logos, they're not that like the guy, the comp guy, you know, some of the guys that do it maybe five times a year, but a lot of these guys have been out forever. It's just a very simple script or, you know, something a little more clean looking. John, is there ever a contest that like, I mentioned that contest uh, in the parking lot. <laughs> is there ever a contest that you go to and you swear you'll never go back? I mean, the... <laughs> I want to get myself in trouble, but yes. <laughs> okay. No, nobody's listening. Go ahead. You can tell us. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, there's the, I can think of a couple where I'm just like, you know, and some of that goes back to, like I said, organizers matter. And then there, there's others, other situations. Just, I mean, some contests have problems, you know, problems getting judges. Like that's a problem. Like if you, I don't want to, you know, all the, the time and money we put into this, the last thing we want to go is have judges off the street. Like, you know, you need to have certified judges. And like I said, some organizers just aren't that friendly. Sometimes it's, you know, you just have to weigh is the headache worse. <laughs> it's like, and there's nothing there's, and I'm, we're willing to travel. So it's like, well, you know, I, I'm not a fan of that contest. We'll go to this one instead. Like that's actually how we ended up in Oklahoma this year. So it's like, yeah, it, you try. I mean, and that's it's rare though. It's like I said, we did what thirty six. There's probably and there's probably one or two where I'm like, I, I'm not going back there. But that, but at the same time, we've had that happen though, where I'm like, yeah, we're not coming back, and then we we won. I'm like, well, that's we got to come back next year. I guess. So like, if we if we do well, we'll, we'll write some stuff off. So now you are one of the you know thirty six contests. You are winning a lot. So I would imagine that these contests want to have chunky barbecue there. Do you receive requests like where they're asking you to come to? It used to be probably you just picked contests. Now are they asking you to come out? I mean, we, we definitely get you, know, you definitely have organizers and even reps sometimes, you know, reach out. Um, I'm sure we're not the only one that's you know, getting that, though. I'm sure because. So just for example, like in the Mid-Atlantic, there's probably a core 15 to 17 of us that, you know, we see, each, you know, we're, we're seeing each other every week. You know, we're, you know, same, same 15, 16, 17 teams. And I am sure the organize, you know, the organizers need teams to keep these contests going. So I'm sure, you know, we definitely get those and you try to, you, know, you try to help them out. And again, as it was, but then, like I said, the, the nice thing is in the Mid-Atlantic, most of the organizers are great. They really are. They'll reach out and say, hey, I'll, mm-hmm. you know, like I know last year we chose a contest that's four hours away over one that was an hour away just because I like her that much better. Like she's just, she's a great organizer, runs a great contest and she follows up. She's like, hey, John, are you coming this year? I'm like, I'll be there. But then like, I know we didn't turn, like I know for her, 
we were late signing up and she was getting worried. I'm like, I gave you my word. We'll be there. <laughs> like we're coming. And so then we went and she was very happy. We came, but like everybody's getting that. I mean, there's more teams probably dropping out than they're coming into the sport. Just I mean, it, one, it's not getting any cheaper. So I'm sure the guys that are out there week in, week out, probably get messages all the time saying, Hey, come to my contest. You know, we, we certainly get it. We, we get our fair share of it. And like I said, most of the ones we try, we, We've done it enough now. We have a good relationship with most of the reps organizers that we you know we encounter. So you've been doing this now for oh, a, a decent amount of time. Not, but like I said, it's not overnight. But you are starting to get to be one of the veteran teams, I would assume. But this is one of those moments where I'm like, "What was I? I I had a thought. All of a sudden, <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, so yeah, you said you took a class, and that's where you started to turn things around and to win, but I could probably take five classes and I would, I would never get to that level. What, what kind of cooking experience did you have before you, you started competing? You know, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I, I certainly, I cook at home prior to that. I mean, we did, you know, I, I started out with a Weber Smoky Mountain, you know, before we even thought about doing competitions. So we would do some pulled pork occasionally. And I do stuff at home, like manicotti, spaghetti, just, Simple stuff like that. So, and I have no culinary training of any sort, nothing like that. I, and I mean, honestly, a lot of the guys in competition barbecue don't. Competition barbecue is a little different where, you know, if a, if a guy, you know, you, know, you have to have that attention to detail, maybe a little OCD. It, if, if, you, if you're willing to put the work in, you're doing in the time. And, then, and again, I get some guys can take, you know, six you know classes, but it's just a matter of, the pro, like, and we see this with our the class that I do with like, with Top Gun. A lot of guys will take a class and think it's a magic bullet. They think they just you know, you can flip a switch and you're going to go out and win. Because um, I mean, some and sometimes it does happen. Some guy like I know we took our first class, and it was our third contest after we got our first GC. But what people don't see on that one because so we took our first class January 2020, right before COVID happened, and then COVID obviously contest didn't happen for a while. The first contest that happened was at the end of June that year, but we had six months where we were doing practice cooks at home. We were, you know, I probably did, I would bet a half dozen, like four meat practice cooks at home. And then that's even on top of, you know, doing just, if I wasn't doing a four meat, like one weekend, I'm probably doing chicken. And then the next weekend I'm doing ribs. And then next week, so you're trying to perfect that. It's a lot of work, but you know, for the guys that want to put the work in and also follow the program. So like what we did, we took, it would be the hot and fast class with Tim Shearer and Brad Lineker. And I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm like, these two guys have been highly successful. So I'm going to do, I, I know I can't cook like Brad. I can't cook like Tim, but if I can even just cook close to that, we're going to be successful. So it's one of those things like we, you know, we're coming out of the gate there in 2020, what they did in that class is exactly what we did. We didn't change a thing. And I know like with ours, I've heard guys, they're like, Oh, I got to, I got a rib call first weekend after the class. And then the next week they change everything. It's like, you can't do that. It's like, you know, what, what you know, when something's working, you don't really want to, some guy, everybody wants to tinker a little bit. Do you have to, you know, find a good class with guys that have been successful and then you want to run exactly what they did. Um, and then, and again, it takes time. Cause like I said, we do, again, we won our third contest after the class, but that was also, like I said, six months after with a lot of practice. Yeah, a lot of a lot of practice, right? People don't they don't realize how how it this is your hobby, but 
like you said, it's, and, you know, it's like, I, I know you guys are really into you know, like I played baseball growing up and then after that I transitioned to golf and like, I, you know, both of them, I definitely probably overachieved. I'm not the biggest guy, but it was the work I had to put in in the off season, the practice, not you, <laughs> any of the stuff, any hobby you want to be good at, you got to put the time, the, the reps in, so to speak. Yes, definitely. John, you mentioned that you've uh, used a uh, drum cooker. Do you use any other cookers uh, when, you, when you're when you competing? When we're competing, no. I just use the four drums. At home, I've actually started to use the drum. So we won a Traeger pellet grill at the one contest um, in South Carolina. I've actually been using that a fair bit this winter, just because it's easier. Um, I can I can put something on and walk away from it. Where the drum, I can walk away from it, but I can't walk away for, say, two hours. I have really? to wait 30 minutes or so. Would you consider using the Traeger at a contest? Not right now. <laughs> um, our one spon- our one sponsor is Lancaster Barbecue Supply. And I keep uh-huh. saying I want to move to an offset. And he's uh-huh. like, John, until you're he's like, until you stop winning with cans, you're not changing a thing. <laughs> so until gotcha. it's broke, I'm not fixing it. Right. Make, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I understand. All right. So what is coming up then in 2024 for Chunky Barbecue? You know, we're, we're, we're really just now starting to, to look at it. Um, right now, the only things we're signed up for, our first our first contest is going to be down in Nashville, just outside of it, um, Smoke on the Shores. We were there last year. They do a great job. Um, really looking for, And they have the, some pretty cool trophies also. We're looking forward to going back to that. And then uh, barbecue gives back in Urbana, Virginia, and kind of kicks off the mid-Atlantic season. We're really looking forward to that one. And then, <laughs> like I promised my wife we were going to cut back. I don't know if that's going to happen. April, April's looking. It, it's one of the, I like to think that we're going to slow down, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing we probably do somewhere between thirty to thirty-five again. Maybe more if if we can stay. If we can, you know, mimic the success of this past year. Yeah, we might push the 40 trying to, I, I, I look at, I told her, I'm like, well, when I was looking through the numbers and that, like the guys that, the, the guys that ended up winning or the guy that ended up winning team of the year, they had probably about six to eight contests on us. I'm like, if we could have cooked maybe 10 more contests, maybe we could have made that a little more interesting. So now if you're doing 40, assuming that's basically, it's almost a full year. Yeah. It, I mean, the only way we would do that is if, again, if we're, if we're having the same kind of success, because like, so, right. so many times, like if, if there's a site barbecue data, if you go through there, so many guys, like they have like a, you know, a good year or two, and then there's a little bit of a drop off. And, you know, we're, we're trying to avoid that, but I see so many teams that have that happen. So if we can avoid a drop off and continue you know, keep things going. Yeah. It's hard to, <laughs> we might be out there every single weekend, you know, cooking two contests per weekend. So. Oh yeah. that wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I know this this past year by September, I was ready to be done. But at the end of August, we were sitting third in KCBS. And I'm like, I looked at my wife like, when are we, you know, we don't know when we're going to be sitting in the top three in KCBS again. You know, we got we to gotta, we gotta keep pushing. John, do you ever, is a contest ever too far that for driving that you fly out there? For me, not really. <laughs> no, but we are going to try that a little bit this year, I think. One of uh, we stole this from uh, Luke and Kim Darnell, where they like to do a contest in a state they haven't done before. So we've been kind of doing that. So this year we're hoping to add maybe like Arizona, Colorado, and Wyoming. 
Um, we've been getting the, the more we do this, the more guys we know. So the idea is, you know, to be able to borrow equipment somewhere so we can just fly out, cook and come home. We once spoke to someone. I can't remember who it was. Jeff might remember. And he, he had an idea for, um, what for a contest show. And it was each, each team was given a certain amount of money and they had to fly to the event. They had to get their equipment. They had to get their meets. So it was, and compete. It was almost like amazing race, but <laughs> barbecue style. It sounds like, you know, that might be something that you would be good at. I mean, there's somewhere, um, I mean, there's a, there's a few guys they do that. I know Brad Leninger, for example, he, he will fly in wherever, just borrow four drums and a pop, you know, pop up and cook it. And, you know, he's out by two o'clock on yeah. Sunday. So, um, now we're going to give it a try a few times this year. Just to, I'm all, I'm very particular about how clean my drums are. Uh, so I don't, my wife doesn't know if my OCD can handle clean, you know, cooking on someone else's. Right. But, That's the thing. You got to cook on somebody else's cooker and you can't bring very much with you if you're flying. Exactly. I mean, I, the idea would be to show you, you're, you're showing up on site, you know, you know, procuring most of your meat unless you, I mean, we're, we're again, we, we know enough people now where I think we can make it work. Some guys have even flown with, you know, maybe some, you know, you know some frozen pork, stuff like that. I, I'm debating, you know, we actually order most of our meat at this point. It's the butcher shop out of Pensacola, Florida. And I'm even seeing about, can he ship to where I'm going to be to like say a hotel that I'll be staying at, something like that. It's a lot to work on. Last question for me. You mentioned baseball. What position did you play? I was a middle infielder, mostly second base, depending on what part of my, you know, in high school, it depended on who was pitching. Predominantly second base, but occasionally short and the, the rare opportunity to play third occasionally. You probably have that, that competitive juice in you that you're channeling into you took from your baseball playing your golf playing and now you're channeling it into the barbecue oh it is it is absolutely you know i know most guys will say it, it is we're, we're all friends but we all want to beat each other too so oh yeah, well, john, oh, yeah. john we, we thank you for your time you want to tell the people where they can reach you i know you have a facebook page anything else in social media yeah no i mean if, if they want to look us up um we're on instagram facebook and tiktok under, you know, Chunky Barbecue. We really appreciate you joining us on Baseball and BBQ, and we we thank you, and we wish you continued success. Oh, thank you. you know, thanks for having me on. It was a great time, guys. Yep. Yeah, thank you very much, Sean. Thank you. And thank you, John, for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. Leonard. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, Kelly Stinnett. Thank you, Gary Mack. And thank you, Jeff. We are brought to you, presented by bet online it is where the game starts jeff you know what we're not starting we're ending i told you i was tired but <laughs> thankfully these interviews carried through i didn't really have to do much so and and we had gary mack help out so i don't know why i'm so tired but i'm but, i'm gonna go rest and get ready for episode 222 because that's gonna be a big show we're going to end with the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, and the song, Jeff, is what? You know it. Baseball, Baseball always, always brings bring you, you home. home. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on episode 222.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.